you, Catherine. Um, and we are very pleased to, to be here today and speaking with all of you from our headquarters in Madison, Wisconsin. Robert and I will be tag-teaming the presentation for you this afternoon. Um, and we're especially grateful to Catherine and the FIRST Healthcare Compliance team for inviting us to speak today. We know that this audience is committed to understanding all aspects of co compliance, and we understand that our specific area of expertise and this topic, MIPS and MIPS compliance, is a critical piece in a healthcare organization's compliance strategy. And so we know it's important to you, and we look forward to sharing our expertise and engaging with you during and after the webinar. So as an overview for our time today, our overall goal is to provide you with insight and tangible advice on how to manage and navigate through the complexity and the nuances of the MIPS program. Because the bottom line here is the goal of this competitive program is to earn the most points and these points in turn correspond directly to the reimbursements and your bottom line. So to accomplish our goal and through the details that we will be providing throughout the presentation, the learning objectives are the elements and complexities of each of the four MIPS categories and how to navigate them, the fundamental but critical differences between reporting methodologies, the advantages of using a technology-based compliance solution versus a manual, manual one to optimize your MIPS score. And finally, we will end with questions and answers. So we will leave plenty of time for questions. So feel free to submit your questions during the webinar and we'll answer them at the end. And we are also available for one-on-one -on -one discussion of your situation and your needs after the webinar. And so our contact information is in the webinar slides. But before we dive into the program, I wanted to provide some background on healthy filings, who we are and what we do, as it will help frame our expertise and our experience and help explain how we look at this program and our view towards the discussion about the nuances and the complexities within the program. So as an overview of Healthy Filings and who we are, Healthy Filings is a technology company, and as such, we have developed a cloud-based software that supports healthcare organizations, large or small, and within any specialty to effectively track and analyze data for population health management initiatives and to easily comply with complex CMS programs such as MIPS. Our ONC certified software extracts raw patient data from any certified EHR or billing system. And through the automated process, it conducts data analysis, quality measure calculation, measure selection, and prepares an electronic MIPS submission that we file on the healthcare provider's behalf to CMS. As I mentioned, our, source, our software is certified annually by the ONC, 
And through this process, the ONC validates through an annual review and quarterly attestations that our software does what we say it does. And to that point, we have been granted certification in all of the ECQMs, the Electronic Clinical Quality Measures, related to the MIPS program. I note this important certification now, and you will hear more shortly about the benefits of reporting with ECQMs. Additionally, it's important to note that we are a CERT, a certified EHR technology. And while our certification falls under the same umbrella as an EHR designation, we're not an EHR, nor do we intend to be an EHR, and there are fundamental differences between us. And specifically, we are Switzerland as it relates to the EHR that a practice uses in that we can integrate and extract data from any certified EHR. To date, we have integrated with over 85 different EHRs on the market. And two distinct elements to mention here are, one, we are also able to support a practice that doesn't use an EHR, and two, our proprietary software has the ability to integrate data from multiple EHRs into a single comprehensive patient record. And this is important for an EHR or a practice that is transitioning from one EHR to another. We are fully HIPAA compliant, and our success rate is 100% with all submissions being accepted as valid submissions by CMS. So as you see, our core business and our core expertise is compliance and specifically regulatory compliance related to CMS programs such as MIPS. So to provide some additional context into how we look at this program and our services related to it, I wanted to provide a brief background into Healthy Filings core services. Healthy Filings core services can be characterized as falling within two buckets. And at the root of both of those services, is that we provide a cloud-based enterprise solution that maximizes Medicare reimbursements and revenue. To be clear, what we're talking about here is Medicare Part B billings or reimbursements, as the MIPS program is centered uh, on Medicare Part B billings and outpatient services. So depending on what a client's objective is or potentially the client's circumstances, will determine which service is most appropriate for the situation, either the MIPS Accelerator or QM Accelerator service. The MIPS Accelerator is predominantly a service that helps a practice whose primary objective is to earn enough points to get out of the penalty box. This service, which is a turnkey end-to-end solution, and will, at the end of the reporting period, extract a full year's worth of data from the EHR billing system, and then within our data warehouse, performs the data analysis, measure calculation, benchmarking, measure selection, and then will electronically package a file that we will submit directly to CMS on behalf of the client. This is a fully turnkey, one-and-done approach to compliance. 
ensuring it's done both accurately and completely with the annual submission. And while the submission is done at the end of the reporting period, it's best to engage in this service as early within the reporting period as possible, as there are things we'll do throughout the reporting period on behalf of the client to best position them to earn points, which will help when we prepare the electronic submission. And for clients who want to be more engaged and want to go after the opportunity to earn positive payment adjustments, including potentially the bonus pool, we have an additional service that builds on the MIPS Accelerator service called QM Accelerator, which is best suited for them. And in this service, we have a customizable web-based dashboard that we update throughout the year and present back to the client so that the client can get insight and visibility into their per performance in the quality and promoting interoperability categories, and it helps them drive their quality initiatives as well as position themselves well in their performance. The dashboard is very intuitive and robust so that the providers can get actionable data and can drill down from the overall performer performance to a provider to a patient level. And so while it's a great tool to optimize performance and quality and the PI categories, it also provides the full 15 points in improvement activities. So again, given that this is our area of expertise and our area of service, we have the expertise and experience to provide you insight into the MIPS program. So taking a step backwards, I'd like to review the background on the law and how we got to where we are today. MACRA is the bipartisan law passed in 2015 designed to consolidate existing programs to facilitate the shift from a fee-for-service or volume-based model to a value-based care model. The goal is simplification and reducing the administrative burden on clinicians. And ultimately, this shift will reward practices for giving better care. MACRA provides a significant shift in the compensation model for reimbursements and is a budget neutral program. So for every dollar paid in penalty, there must be an ex a corresponding payout in bonuses. What is clear is the goal of MACRA to refocus providers from merely using technology towards providers leveraging technology to improve outcomes. CMS is pushing all practices toward using technology for this program because, because CMS sees the value that technology brings in terms of driving efficiencies and as a better way to gather and track valid data. This becomes relevant because CMS is looking for this program to help them A, track and assess the performance of our healthcare system as a whole, and B, set things like benchmarks that they will use to determine how a clinician is doing against their peers. So to help them, the validity of the data becomes much more critical. And the data submitted by a CERT has been determined to be more valid and therefore is more valuable to CMS, which is why CMS is awarding bonuses for submitting data through a search. 
And MIPS is the points-based program to help CMS implement MACRA and achieve their goal of tying payments to quality and value. It's predicted that over 800,000 Part B clinicians will be subject to MIPS for the 2019 reporting period. So a significant segment of the market are eligible or considered required to submit for MIPS or receive an penalty. And it is becoming more and more challenging to stay out of penalty territory as the points threshold to avoid penalties continues to grow. For the 2019 reporting period, a practice must earn 30 points to avoid penalty, and that threshold is being raised to 45 in 2020 and 60 in 2021. In fact, CMS is required to configure the program such that about half of clinicians will be assessed penalties by the 2022 performance year. So in short, it's no longer is it su sufficient to simply comply with the program, but a practice must now engage to compete to earn points and must compete strategically to be able to earn each and every point available to them to be able to stay on the right side of the penalty line. And this slide shows again that the financial implications are significant and getting more significant. You can see here that not only is it becoming more difficult to stay out of the penalty box, the penalty assigned or the negative payment adjustment, which is placed on each and every Medicare claim submitted within a year is growing from negative 7% for the 2019 reporting period to negative 9% in 2020. And again, this table reinforces the point that you can't be passive anymore. Action is needed because the downside risk is significant and it's only getting more difficult to avoid it. And while the upside is significant too, it requires proactive engagement and action. In totality, and to put this in context, the program is designed to make it harder to succeed. But if you do nothing based on the 2019 rules, you will have a 7% payment reduction on all of your Medicare reimbursements paid in 2021. And as a point of grounding on this, with a 7% penalty and assuming the minimum eligibility levels, a penalty will impact the practice with a reduction in reimbursements to the tune of $6,300 per provider if a practice doesn't comply or earn enough points to avoid penalty. And very quickly with this slide, we want to point out that CMS continues to expand the program and bring in newly eligible classes of clinicians. This is an example of one of the numerous areas where the program is changing each year. CMS sets the rules for the program each year, and each year the rules change. It, 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 the 2019 final ruling, for example, was 1,800 pages. And you will hear this theme throughout our presentation because not only are the rules complex and nuanced, but they continue to change. So getting to the details of the program, 
The MIPS program, which as we mentioned earlier, is the consolidation of previously existing programs, is a points-based program. Overall, there are 100 possible points, and the goal is to earn the maximum number of points in each category. The program has four categories. Quality, the category with the most points opportunity, uh, making up between 45 and 85 points available. Promoting interoperability, which accounts for up to 25 points. Improvement activities with 15 points available. And cost, which has the ability to earn up to 15 points. Again, points earned directly impact your overall score and is tied to the Medicare reimbursement levels for an entire year. And it's in the next section of our presentation where the gory details come into play in terms of what a practice can or can't do in order to earn these points under each of the four categories. We won't get into all of the intricacies today as it's much too much detail, but suffice to say, if you haven't previously complied with the program, now is the time to understand what's required under each of these four categories and how it applies to your practice. And to, turn, to provide you with additional insight into each of the elements of the categories, I will turn the presentation over to Robert. Great. Thank you very much, Sarah. I appreciate that. Um, so as Sarah has said, the MIPS program is a point-based program with the possibility of 100 total points that could be earned across these four categories. My objective um, here in this segment is to give you a little bit more detail around each of those four components of the MIPS program, but not to get into a level of specificity on this particular discussion because there's just too much detail. We candidly could spend an hour plus on each of the individual four categories to understand all of the complexities and nuances. So I'm simply going to try to give you some um, high-level perspective and insight into how to be thinking about each of these respective categories and how it fits into the equation. Because again, whether it be a small practice or a very large health system, the implications and impact of each of the categories will vary significantly. So with that as sort of both a setup as a, and a caveat, the quality category ultimately is the largest category of the four relative to the point allocation. And importantly, it really is the most controllable of the four categories as well. And when we talk about controllable, what we mean here is that by engaging and proactively focusing on this throughout the year, you are putting yourself, you, your clients, the clinicians, are putting themselves in a position in which to have a higher probability of success relative to what's required to earn points. So, as um, Sarah had mentioned, this category could be weighted as few as 45 points or 45% of the total um, weighting for the submission or up to 85 points. That variation, just to kind of hit on that right now, will, is, is driven by whether or not the practice, the clinician, the practice, or the health system does or does not have to or potentially could be exempt from one of the other categories. And if so, those points end up getting reweighted to the quality category. 
So every time somebody doesn't have to focus on or submit for one of the uh, other categories, those points aren't lost. They're just reweighted to the quality category, and that's why you see the range. Ultimately, with the quality category, the way this works is of all the available measures that could be tracked and analyzed, one will need to submit a total of six eCQMs per clinician. Now, that whereas that may sound fairly straightforward, the nature of the program is such at this point that it's just no longer about submitting data, but submitting data that demonstrates that the clinician has performed at a level that's higher than, better than their peers, i.e. benchmarking. So if we think about this, the effort here is not only to track throughout the year how they're doing on each of the various quality measures that may apply to the nature of the services that they're providing and or their practice, but the selection of it becomes critical in terms of understanding the benchmarking and how that measure for that clinician benchmarks against everyone else in the country, regardless of size of practice, regardless of the nature of the specialty, the, the benchmarking is based on everyone else that submits data for that particular measure, and then based on which decile that you happen to fall into will determine the points earned for that particular measure. And again, the objective is to earn the most points. And so with that said, whereas the benchmarking is the critical determination as to how many points will be earned based on which decile, um, a clinician falls into. So again, just to be very clear, if the clinician falls into the seventh decile, that means they'll earn seven out of the possible 10 points for that particular measure. So aside from the benchmarking, what becomes really important is understanding the difference between measures and whether or not there are limitations on whether or not points could be earned for a particular measure. And so again, we won't get into all of the specifics that are seen on the slide here, but ultimately, suffice it to say that based on the criteria of the measure, one could actually see automatic point reductions if one ends up submitting that particular measure. So if I work from the left to the right here, just to give you an example, if it turns out that the clinician submits a measure that essentially is what's known as topped out, they, regardless of their performance, even if they were in the 10th decile, because they submitted data on a topped-out measure, they would see an automatic point reduction of anywhere from 30 to 70%. So not only is the understanding of the benchmarking critical, but understanding if there are nuances about the measure that would result in these automatic point reductions that become critical to knowing which measure should be submitted. So just to put this all in context for you, for a single clinician, based on the number of available measures that could be applicable, there are 9 million possible combinations of measures that could or would be submitted on behalf of that clinician to try to optimize the scoring under the quality category. Needless to say, that's a pretty significant uh, task to try to determine all that. Um, and again, here's the value of technology, which is CMS's surrogate for software within the software platform that Healthy Filings has. It's been certified by the ONC. We have a proprietary algorithm within that will not only track the performance relative to the exact same database that CMS uses for purposes of benchmarking, but incorporates all of the nuances around topped out or 
measures. I don't have benchmarks, et cetera. And then we'll be able to go through the 9 million possible combinations to select the six highest scoring measures that should be submitted. So not only is it important to get out in front of this at the beginning, but the um, ultimately the, what gets submitted at the very end becomes critical to getting credit for and earning the most points associated with the quality category and the measures being submitted. Again, there's a lot more information that one can get into, devil's in the detail as they always say, but at a high level understanding that becomes pretty important. So now we move on to the next category, the promoting interoperability category. This category, candidly, of the four is probably the most challenging relative to being able to do everything that's required in order to earn points versus ending up with a zero in this particular category. So just to be very clear here, as previously discussed, if for some reason a clinician or a practice could be exempt from having to have to submit and comply with promoting interoperability, the 25 MIPS points allocated to PI would be reallocated to the quality category. Assuming that the clinician or practice needs to comply with PI, there are four tiers, or they call them objectives, within the PI category in which various activities need to be done in order to earn points. In this case, there are 100 possible PI points. Based on the total number of PI points that are earned, that percent then gets applied to the category weighting of 25 MIPS points to determine how many points in total will go towards the MIPS score. What's something to keep in mind here, aside from the four sort of tiers or objectives, which we're about to just highlight very quickly here in a minute, this is a category which needs to be done for a minimum of 90 continuous days at some point in time during the annual reporting period. So at least at this point, these activities or initiatives don't need to be done continuously throughout the year, but they do need to be done for a minimum of 90 continuous days during the year. Otherwise, you get an automatic zero for this particular category and a zero towards your overall score. Many folks don't realize that this isn't a one-and-done type of, of initiative within promoting profitability, but an ongoing for those 90 days. So, as I mentioned, this get, category gets fairly complex because uh, there are four, they call them objectives, in which various activities during that 90 days needs to be done. Even within those objectives, there are various components within that, each of which have certain points allocated to them, which is essentially what this chart is showing. Um, and so I'm going to actually move on to the next chart because what this shows very simply within the promoting interoperability category here is not only do you have the four objectives and then the various initiatives within each of those objectives, what one does and how one does it determines whether points are or are not earned if for some reason there's an exemption within one of the four objectives or one of the line items within the objectives, again, you don't lose the opportunity to earn those points. They just get reweighted to another objective. And so as you can see, the maze or the matrix here to try to figure out what a practice, big or small, needs to do to earn the full 25 points within the promoting interoperability category is a fairly significant challenge. It requires more of a deep dive up front to understand the nature of the practice, 
what applies, what doesn't apply, if an exemption is applicable, how to go after that exemption in order to then know what one does or doesn't need to do within this category. The key takeaway the key takeaway is a zero within any of those objectives will result in zero points zero points earned within the PI category, which would have a significant impact on the overall ability to earn points to get out of the penalty box or to become positive payment adjustment. So it really needs appropriate attention and focus so as not to put 25% at risk. The next category is the improvement activities category. This category applies to everyone and has a point weighting of 15 points. Much like PI, at this point, at least both for the 2019 reporting period and as initially projected for the 2020 reporting period, this category needs to be done for a minimum of 90 continuous days, just like PI. So again, this isn't something that has to be done throughout the year, but it does need to be done, be done continuously for a period of time in order to earn the appropriate points. The challenge here is there's over 117 possible different activities of which four have to be done over that 90-day period. Now that sometimes options or more is better, but in this case, there's actually a complexity around the idea of trying to identify what four activities are most appropriate for the practice or healthcare organization as a whole, and then making sure that everyone within the organization is doing what's required in order to satisfy the requirements of each of those respective activities in order to then earn um, the points necessary to be able to attest to the fact that four were done for that period of time. So again, sounds like a little bit of a commercial here, but there are easier ways, Sarah has referenced, the nature of our services. And so as we look to support a client, we have built a web-based dashboard, what we call our QM Accelerator, that by using that to ultimately drive in not only tracking up, but better performance within the quality and the PI categories, it will automatically satisfy this particular category in its entirety. So a healthcare organization does not need to spend time trying to figure out which of the 117 might be most applicable and or achievable. Simply engaging and using a web-based dashboard like ours satisfies that and it drives success in the other categories. So it's kind of a win-win. The final category here that we're going to talk about is cost. The three previous categories were all categories that one could actively engage, one actually needs to actively engage in order to earn points. At this particular point in time, the cost category is what's really considered to be a passive category. There really is nothing that a practice can do throughout the year at this point to change the trajectory as to whether A, the cost category will apply to them, and if it does, then it's weighted 15 points, and if it does apply, what or how they'll earn those points. A practice just needs, again, big or small, to submit their claims as always. And at this point, CMS is going to evaluate those claims submissions and, if applicable, apply a scoring algorithm to it to determine what points are earned. 
It's a little bit of a challenge because given it could be up to 15% of your, of your total score, it's hard not to have any ability at this point to necessarily influence those points that you earn. And obviously, if for some reason the category doesn't apply, then those 15 points will get reweighted again to quality. There isn't much that can be done at this point to um, apply for purposes of exemption under this category, at least currently in 2019 and as projected for 2020. But the hope is by the 2021 reporting period that there will be better um, structure around the cost category such that one will be able to be proactive about how to earn those points if they, the category applies and therefore having more overall control and influence on your final score. So for now, though, it's one, it's there, it's passive, and one just has to kind of accept that and focus on the other three categories where the control or ability to influence still exists. So I know we covered that quickly at a fairly high level. I think the objective is to just make sure everybody was well aware that there is a complexity here. It needs to be understood quickly and early on um, because a lack of, of understanding or a lack of engagement will adversely impact the ability to earn those critical points. And with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Sarah, who's going to take you through some other elements of uh, the, the program as a whole. Great. Thank you, Robert. And yes, our objective really today is to provide you with the high-level perspective that helps you understand and recognize the need for active engagement as it relates to optimizing the score and earning the points through the MIPS program. And so if you are going to comply, which we highly recommend that you do, it's critical to understand the differences in both the measures and the reporting methodologies and what path to take. So I want to get back to what needs to be reported um, and point out that all measures are not the same. There are a lot of different measures and the ones that are most relevant, applicable, and effective are ECQM. So there are significant advantages of submitting ECQMs as this approach results in significantly more points than registry deciles. As Robert pointed out earlier, 100% of ECQMs have benchmarks. And the points, as we know, the points earned is directly correlated to a practice's performance on the sliding benchmark scale, not in the absolute percentage. So additionally, you'll earn an end, you'll, by using an end-to-end -end technology reporting methodology, you'll earn bonus points, and in fact, you'll automatically receive 10% bonus of total possible quality points. And to take this further, it's critical to consider the importance and impact not only of benchmarking, but also in choosing the reporting methodology that will utilize ECQMs and therefore give you more points opportunity. And so as it relates to reporting, there are a couple distinct paths a practice can take to approach meeting their reporting obligation under the MIPS program. There is a clear path if you want to maximize scores and in turn maximize reimbursements. So a registry, regardless of the nature of it, is the least effective way to earn points. So with a cert, like 
healthy filings. You'll save significant time, have access to better benchmarking, earn more points, and ultimately receive higher reimbursements. But there are a number of key considerations that contribute to this critical difference between registry reporting and that conducted by a CERT like healthy filings. So with a CERT, the software does the work, the work is versus a registry where the work is required by you and your team. The registry reporting is simply a combination of purchase forms and a submittal vehicle, but requires manual uh, data reporting, measure calculation, measure selection, and all with no visibility on the measure benchmarks. Additionally, CERT is considered an end-to-end -end electronic solution and a registry isn't. And as such, a CERT earns automatic bonus points, 10% uh, bonus points in the quality category. And when every point counts in terms of maximizing reimbursements, this is significant. Uh, also, every measure has a CMS benchmark, and as we've pointed out, benchmarks are what's relevant, not a practice's absolute percentage score. So with our ONC certified software, our algorithm will earn you the most points as the proprietary algorithm optimizes the MIPS CPS. So again, to point out the registry approach leads the burden of the work, the measure selection, and the calculation in your hands. And again, no matter the nature of the registry, it's the least effective way to earn points. And additionally, many practices will consider reporting through their EHR or think that because it can be confusing with terminology like CERT, MIPS is being taken care of by their EHR. And the answer to that is having an EHR is step one. The EHR is the repository for patient data. But since the key to MIPS is being able to track how you are doing throughout the year and ultimately to use that data for compliance and reporting, while your EHR is the centralized repository of data, it doesn't do anything with the data to prepare it or the practice to optimize your MIPS score. And to this point, our services through our dynamic dashboard with drill down capabilities that provide visibility to actionable data not only drives quality initiatives and workflow improvements throughout the year, but earns more points and provides a turnkey full service option for MIPS reporting. And while we work hand-in-hand -hand with a practice's EHR to be able to streamline the process and submit on the client's behalf to CMS, because of the certification and functional limitations of any EHR, these service, full-service compliance services are not able to be performed without the inclusion of a reporting entity such as Healthy Filings. And so with that, I hope that we've provided some insightful information about the critical nature of what's required to comply with the MIPS program. And as we've pointed out, there are more and more practices who are impacted by the program, and it's becoming more challenging to find a path to maximize points in revenue. But in the complex market landscape, it's more valuable and important to do so.
So uh, healthy filings can provide the heavy lifting of compliance for you, freeing up your staff to focus on your core business. And we'd welcome the opportunity to talk to you about your situation um, and help advise as to what we can do to support you and maximize revenue. And so with that, that wraps up the presentation component of this webinar. And so at this point, I'll turn things back over to Catherine. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate that. Thank you, Robert and Sarah. I appreciate that webinar so much on um, MIPS and um, all the uh, great information that you have provided for us. Thank you so much. And so we do have a few questions that have come in and uh, I didn't know if we could get started with that uh, portion. That's so great, the, we're ready to go. Great, great. Well, the first question that we have is, how do I know if I'm eligible or required to report in 2019? Yeah, very good question. Um, so there are, quote unquote, eligibility requirements. And in this case, eligibility means that you're required to report. And if you don't, you'll automatically be penalized, as Sarah previously had said, the 7% here in 2019. So eligibility is based on a combination of the dollars billed and the number of patients seen. It's known as the low volume threshold hold or the LVT. So the quickest way is to go to the QPP lookup and to put in the TIN and corresponding NPI to determine whether or not the eligibility for 2019 does or does not exist. With that said, we will caveat though that the way the look back periods work with CMS, um, people may not know till the very end here of 2019 as to whether they are or not required to comply. And so if you've got Medicare billings that are over $90,000 and seeing over 200 patients, even if on QPP it's not clear around your eligibility, we highly advise and recommend that you plan on and anticipate needing to submit data so as not to find yourself in a difficult position when the submission window opens up January 1 and to find that your eligibility status wasn't clear on the CMS website, but it turns out you do need to report. Is it, is it too late to report for 2019? Yeah, really good question there too. So the way the process works is all eligible conditions need to report for the reporting period, which is a calendar year, January 1 through December 31st. And you have to report an entire year's worth of data for all patients, all payers. So with that said, the 2019 reporting period has not ended. It will end December 31st. And so it is not too late to not only get ready for but to be able to submit the required data to report effectively for the 2019 reporting period. The corresponding submission window for the 2019 reporting period is January 1 through March 31st. The reason though to engage now is because if there are things that could still be done to improve your score before the end of the calendar year itself, you want to be able to take advantage of that so that, as we like to say, you're looking through the windshield still 
versus as of January 1st, you're looking in the rearview mirror. There's nothing you can do to change how you might earn points. And so you're just at the risk of what you may or may not have done throughout the calendar year. So not too late, not too late to start doing things yet here in 2019. Um, so it is not a given that you have to accept the automatic 7% penalty. Okay. And you can't do anything post, like in January, you can't do anything post to fix anything that happened in 2019. Th that's exactly right. So once the calendar year closes, unless you're backlogged on some documentation within the EHR itself, there's nothing you can do um, relative to previous engagements with patients and or activities you should have been doing in order to earn points. Okay. Um, and that's why within the reporting period, it becomes very critical to have visibility as to what you need to do, what you're doing, and then know what you need to do going forward, because at that point, you can, can still legitimately change the trajectory of how you can earn points. Okay. What's the difference between individual versus group reporting? And uh, it's a several part question. So um, do I have to report using a specific reporting method methodology or through my specialty society? Yeah, good, good question. And it's a multi-part question. So mm -hmm. um, here's how we'll attack it, which is first, um, you based on your eligibility, you may be either individually eligible, in which case then you can part, you can report as part of a group, or you may just be group eligible and don't necessarily report as an individual. And so that determination is something that becomes critical to determine, you know, how you have to report. But if you have the option to be able to report either way, that's an analysis that will be done. Um, and a big factor there tends to be the size of the healthcare practice or organization to determine whether or not individual or group reporting will be the way to earn the most points. The way to think about group reporting is the group score would get applied to every NPI or clinician within the organization. And so within group reporting, you don't report on 100% of the providers for every patient engagement. You actually, there are thresholds that need to be achieved, and so oftentimes group reporting is more effective. Think of the notion of the tide rises all boats. You get to sort of pick the best of the best within the organization, and then that score gets applied to everyone. So that's an assessment that we would do. We'd look at it, ultimately analyze both individual as well as group, and determine where the most points are earned. The second part of the question is, do I have to use a specific reporting methodology? Well, relative to group versus individual, it comes down to what you may be eligible or not eligible in which to submit. But regarding methodologies, as Sarah was just talking about, i.e. Cert, certified EHR technology using ECQMs versus registry, the answer is no, you do not have to use a specific reporting methodology. CMS does not mandate nor require that a practice, regardless of size or specialty, that they report a particular way. It is completely up to the organization to determine which reporting methodology, CERT versus registry, is going to be the best for them based on how they want to go about earning points. And so if anyone is told that they have to report using a certain methodology or because they're a particular specialty and they're part of a specialty society that they have to report 
through that specialty society. That is all false. It's inaccurate. And um, if one is being told that, candidly, there should be a different discussion being had there because that is not required nor mandated. Okay, then there's a follow-up question then to what you were just talking about, um, the difference between what you all do at Healthy Filings and then reporting through a registry. Yeah, good question again for clarification. So registry is one reporting methodology. CERT is another reporting methodology. Under each reporting methodology, there are different types of measures that are available to use for purposes of reporting. Under uh, CERT, the ECQMs, the Electronic Clinical Quality Measures, are the types of measures that are available. As Sarah has pointed out, those measures are far superior measures to be using because you don't have all of the challenges of no benchmarking or topped-out measures or things that would limit an ability to earn points. Additionally, historically, the same measure in both registry and um, ECQM the ECQM has earned more points or put you in a higher decile um, than registry measure. And the reason around that is around data completeness and data integrity. If you think about an ECQM, the data is being extracted electronically, it's being calculated electronically, and being submitted electronically. And so there's greater accuracy and completeness around all of that. And as a result, that quality of data puts one for the exact same performance in a higher decile than, say, with registry. And with registry measures, almost half of them are either topped out or have no benchmark, which means per the slide we had shown earlier, no matter what the performance level is, it could be at 100%, you'll only be able to earn three out of the 10 possible points for that measure. And when every point counts towards earning the minimum to get out of the penalty box, no less becoming positive payment eligible, it becomes pretty critical to make sure you understand the difference in the reporting methodologies and the measures that, um, that may apply. And again, just to be clear back to the other point, no one can mandate which methodology you choose to submit under. It's completely at your discretion. So what about an EHR? Does um, the, This question has to do with having an EHR. So if a um, practice, do, do they have to have an EHR to be able to work with, uh, with CERT or with um, healthy filings, or um, doesn't the EHR provide those reports? Yeah, again, really good question for clarification. So a couple of uh, things there. First, if, one, if a practice does not use an EHR or a certified EHR, there is still an ability to comply. You don't get the benefits of, um, if you will, the, the CERT or the EHR technology itself, but there's still data that can be used for purposes of submitting to avoid what otherwise would be an automatic penalty. So if a practice is on paper, it doesn't mean they're automatically going to be penalized, but that's a much more in-depth conversation we're, we're happy to have. Relative to the EHR itself, again, as Sarah had pointed out, um, an EHR, think of it as a great central repository for critical patient data, but it hasn't been built for purposes of being able to ultimately optimize and then handle the reporting for a practice for purposes of a program like MIPS. That's where a service like 
healthy filings comes in, complementary to, we use the data within. The, the challenge with many EHRs is that their certification is often limited around what specifics there are relative to the MIPS program. So for instance, we are certified for all ECQMs that are available and therefore have the full playbook at our disposal for purposes of being able to earn points for a healthcare organization. And EHR, most EHRs are, if certified at all in the ECQMs, are only certified in a handful of them, sub-optimizing the options uh, a clinician or a practice would have for purposes of what they could report for, for earning those points. Additionally, regardless of what kind of dashboard or reports or tools an EHR may say they have, it doesn't solve or address the requirements around improvement activities, so it won't earn the points in that category. And oftentimes, the promoting interoperability category can't be effectively tracked to understand if all of the four tiers or objectives are being met. So an EHR is critical relative to the data and the data integrity, capturing that data, but they're not built to be a reporting mechanism, and there's no means in which to report through the EHR in order to, to get a valid submission into CMS. Okay. All right. Uh, what impact does your services have on the administra uh, administrative uh, staff? So what would they have to do if they were working with um, a company such as yours? Yeah, that, again, a good question here because resource um, resources are scarce. Um, expertise is, is, you know, obviously a challenge as well. So with a service like ours, we're meant to be really, literally an extension of the practices team um, with the expertise in compliance. And so we handle 100% of what's required uh, around um, the reporting side of it. So we don't need any IT support from the practice. Once um, access is authorized, remote access is authorized, that's all that's needed on that side. And we don't need any administrative support because there is no chart abstraction, measure calculation being done by, by staff. It's all being done and automated by the software. And so we free up any and all resources within a healthcare organization or practice from having to do any work at all relative to MIPS compliance. This is a complete outsourced uh, kind of turnkey solution for them. Okay, great. So I have a, a question. Do you have um, do you have any other words of advice for us, or anything, any other um, uh, tips for us as we as we come to the end of our our time? Yeah, I th what we would offer up to everybody is very simply that um, there is a way in which to minimize any burden at all on a clinician or a practice from having to have to comply effectively with this program. And therefore, where it sounds very daunting and challenging, which it is, there is a means in which to, to address it effectively and therefore not just accept as a beta complete that one is going to get penalized. And there is no reason to be penalized if you engage early and engage with the right resource um, to help you as a partner for addressing what's required under the MIPS program. And then the second part of that is this is not going away. 
So one has got to get out in front of understanding what MIPS is, what they need to do, and then put things in place to earn points. Because as Sarah pointed out in one of the slides, the point thresholds are going up, the penalty percentages are going up, and this program is here to stay. And so reimbursements are being tied to points that are earned, and points are earned based on delivering quality care and getting credit for the quality of care that you're providing to your patients. And so there is an effective way in which to, to address that without it becoming a distraction or a burden on you and your organization. So you can do what you want, what you do and do best, which is focus on patients. And so we'd encourage everybody to um, get involved relative to getting the right partner in place to address this effectively for you. Wonderful, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Robert and Sarah, for joining us today on uh, FIRST Healthcare Compliance Webinars. And uh, thank you again for, for coming to, to join us.